Good morning, Foothills. We're happy to have you here, and thank you for joining us. Whether you're in person or online, we're glad to welcome you to church at Foothills Christian Church today. We're in our fifth week of our series, Get Up and Go. We're talking about practical applications and ways that you can take what we know from the Bible and the teachings from Jesus and the apostles and apply them to our lives to come closer to Jesus and closer to his spirit. Pastor Harv started us off, and he's talked about some great things like pursuing intimacy, making biblical decisions, and how we can resolve conflict in our life with the people around us. I got up last week, and I talked about generosity and how the God has given us so, so much to be generous with, and he asks us to be generous with it and to be stewards of it. And this week, we're going to talk about something that's really important, especially with the Olympics on. We're going to talk about some bragging rights. We're going to talk about how every four years, or I guess it's every two because there's also the Winter Olympics, the Olympic Committee comes out and they say, look, everybody in the world, but especially you, America, the medals is not a scoreboard. It's not a competition. It doesn't, you can't win the Olympics. And everybody in America says, yeah, 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 but we're still winning. I think last night we got like our first gold medal and we started off strong in the swimming. That was pretty awesome. I was really happy about that. And I love watching the Olympics every time it comes on. I love the Winter Olympics because I'm a big skier. I love seeing the snowboarding and the half pipe and all the stuff they do. The summer's super cool too. I love all the different events. The gymnastics is going to be on soon. One of my favorites. Always awesome to see. And it's also a lot of fun to watch America just beat other countries at things. It's one of my favorites. But past all that, what's really cool to watch this is all these athletes who work so, so hard for so, so long. There's gymnasts, and, you know, they always throw up, they'll focus on different uh, either gymnasts or swimmers or whatever, but, like, the really popular athletes that we know about that are winning golds or are favorites to win things, and they'll talk about their story. And so many of them start off like, at six weeks old, this person's parents were stretching them and teaching them back handsprings. And I'm like, whoa, it seems a little young, doesn't it? They're like, at three weeks old, this person was lear learning to swim backstroke so that they could train their whole life for this moment. I'm like, whoa, that's, that's pretty intense. And there's always one person, they're like, yeah, this person picked up the sport when they were 16 in high school, and now they're just the best in the world. I'm like, I could have done that one. I like that one a lot more. <laughs> but... It's amazing to see all these stories, and it's amazing to see how hard these athletes have worked, how they've pushed so much. They've been so devoted. They have to watch their diet. They have to train hard. They have to do all the recovery stuff, which is all the stretching, and the massage part sounds pretty nice, not going to lie. But other than that, there's all this recovery work they have to do, and their lives are committed and devoted to their sport and to their craft. And then every four years, if they're a summer athlete, or every four years if they're a winter, they get a chance to go out and compete against the best in the world in front of everybody. It's streamed all over the world, and they get a chance to compete for a gold medal. And it's really cool to see their elation and their joy when they win. 
uh, the, the first American to win a medal at this Games was a swimmer. And he won the 400-meter medley uh, swim. It's supposed to be really hard. It was fun to watch because they had, like, Michael Phelps commenting on it and stuff. But he wins the gold medal, and then they put him up on screen, and they got his family on Zoom, and so they were talking. And he was just like, I did it, I did it, I did it. And he was so, so excited. And it was so amazing to see and to be able to, like, not really share that moment because I've never met the guy, but to be able to be like, wow. That's amazing for this guy who's worked so hard for his whole life. He cares about this so much. And he succeeded. And now he's got that gold medal that no one can ever take away from him. Now, as far as I know, none of us are Olympic athletes. I certainly am not. The diet thing is what gets me. I don't think I could ever handle that. But when it comes to devotion and commitment, these are things we talk about a lot when we talk about our relationship with Christ. If you know God, if you know Jesus, then you know that he calls you to be in a relationship with him and to prioritize him first. Maybe you don't know God and you're searching and and you're trying to figure out who he is and does he exist. And if that's the case, I'm happy you're here today. I'm happening you're joining us. And I hope this isn't too confrontational for you, but if you ever come to know God, then know that he asks to be your first priority. Jesus was constantly asking people in the Gospels to make a choice and to make a decision and to make the decision to follow him over everything else, to store up your treasure in heaven. And so when we look at it that way, then even though none of us are quite as involved as sports or anything as maybe these Olympians are, we're called to be committed and devoted to Christ. We're called to follow him with everything we have to let his spirit transform us and to have him be our first priority, much like so many of these Olympians have to treat their sport. And when we look at it that way, we can look at the people in the New Testament, people like Peter and Paul, the apostles and Christ himself, and look at what they did and what happened when they were devoted to Christ. And they did so many amazing, incredible things. Christ performed miracles. Paul and Peter and the apostles performed miracles as well. Times of healing people. Times of causing a movement in a city and a whole city turning to Christ in these amazing, amazing things. But there's an interesting point, and it's in 2 Corinthians, where the apostle Paul finally brags a little bit. He finally boasts a little bit about all that he has done. Throughout all of his letters to the churches that he has founded, he doesn't often talk about his successes or his achievements. He'll reference a little bit of what he did with the church while he was there, his ministry in the city and what happened when he's building that rapport with the people who are reading his letters. But finally, in 2 Corinthians, he writes a little bit about what he's done and what he's been through and what he's accomplished. And it's interesting. He doesn't usually talk about these things because, as he says in the letter, he's like, these things are not important. These are not what you should be using to follow somebody. But the problem is the Corinthians had fallen to false teachers. They were listening to people who talked about all that they had done and bragged about the great things that they'd been able to do. And they were like, oh, well, if these people are so great, we should follow them. And so Paul wrote to them and said, no, 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 no. You're all wrong. But if you're going to be wrong, I'll show you that even in your wrongness, you should still follow me based on what I've done. 
based on where I've been. But there's something a little interesting about this list. There's something a little interesting about Paul's bragging. It starts off kind of normal. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 22. He says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Do they belong to the people of Israel? So do I. Are they Abraham's children? So am I. So he's establishing his ancestry. He's establishing who he is a little bit. So that makes sense, you know, on a list. It's like, hey, this is who I am. This is where I come from. But then the list takes a little bit of a turn. He says, are they serving Christ? I am serving him even more. I'm out of my mind to talk this way. Because Paul knows it's usually not a positive thing to talk about how much more you serve Christ to someone else. But it's important here, and he goes into why. I have worked much harder. I have been in prison more often. I have suffered terrible beatings. Again and again I almost died. Five times the Jews gave me 39 strokes of the whip. Three times I was beaten with sticks. Once they tried to kill me by throwing stones at me. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have had to keep on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. I have been in danger from robbers. I have been in danger from people from my own country. I have been in danger from those who aren't Jews. I have been in danger in the city, in the country, and at sea. I have been in danger from people who pretended they were believers. I have worked very hard. Often I have gone without sleep. I have been hungry and thirsty. Often I have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. That's a really interesting list to brag about. When Paul chooses his highlights, he doesn't talk about the cities he's been to that have been transformed by Christ. He doesn't talk about the churches that he has helped found and the ministry they are doing. No, he talks about the hard times. He talks about the difficulties. When it's time for him to get up and talk about all of his gold and silver and bronze medals, he talks about all the times he's almost been killed about the time he's been cold, the time he's gone without food, the times he's been beaten. Why is that? Why are Paul's bragging rights when he finally does them? When he says, look, you shouldn't brag, and I don't want to brag, but because of the situation you're in, I have to share a little bit, and here's what it is. He doesn't share these great testaments of power. He doesn't share about the incredible, amazing things that everybody would look at and and ooh and ah at. He shares the hard times. He shares the difficulties. And from our point of view, maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe you hear that list and you're like, that's something I would never want to go through. And if that's part of knowing God, count me out. That reaction's understandable. But following God is a little bit like when you apply for a new job. You can go through all the interviews. You can read all the stuff on it. You can talk to the people who who are hiring and talk to the people who are working the job. But it's hard to understand what it's like until you're actually in it. Until you're actually going day to day to day. Until you figure out which coworkers you can depend on, which coworkers are going to ask a question when the meeting's supposed to end and make it go an extra 10 minutes, and you're like, please, no. You don't really get on those things. You don't really understand them until you're in it. And that's why Paul is bragging about the defeats, 
about the hard times, about the obstacles, about the pain, is because he knows that the power of God is what overcomes. He knows that through every situation he was in, through the beatings and the imprisonment, the shipwrecks, the danger, God has been with him that whole time, and God has walked with him, and God has cared for him. God has loved him, and God has placed his spirit within Paul. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. Think about the hardships that you have gone through in your own life. We all have things, maybe they're not, maybe not hardships, maybe your successes, maybe your achievements. Would you look back on your life and describe your life, your highlights of your life as Paul has? Would you focus on achievements instead? Or maybe if you did focus on the hard times, would you be able to say them like that and just be like, yeah, and we've moved on? Notice how Paul doesn't dwell on these. He doesn't go into detail about all the, the difficulty he's been in. He doesn't go into detail about the times he almost died or the times he was shipwrecked. He doesn't even talk about there's a, there's a piece of axe. During the shipwreck, they finally get onto land and a venomous snake comes up and bites him. He miraculously doesn't die. And the people around him start wondering if he's actually a god. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not. But I know the guy who is. So he hasn't even been, he hasn't even listed all of the difficult things that he's been through. But even when he lists them, it's not from a position of someone who's traumatized. It's not from a position of someone who is a victim or someone who's weighed down by that past. Also in Acts, we see that after he's done ministry for many, many years, the Spirit places on Paul's heart to go to Jerusalem, the place where everyone who has power and hates him is. And so as he starts traveling there, whenever he goes to one of these churches he's founded, they ask him, hey, where are you going? Where are you going on your journey now? He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're like, hold up. That's not the good place for you. You're going to be killed or imprisoned or both. And there's no other alternatives. And he says, yeah, but I'm going. It's important for me to go. And it talks about an ax. It says, we tried to persuade him many, many times, but his heart was set on it. And he went. Think about the power that was within Paul. That none of these things could cause him to falter. The pain, the fear, the hardship, all of it was overcome because the Spirit of the Lord was within him. When we look at ourselves, when we think of what we have to brag about, when we think about what we have committed and devoted ourselves to, what is it? Is it something that has that true power in it? Is it something that has the power of the Lord within it? What is it that leads to that power of God? What is it that gives us that spirit that Paul has? What is it that allows Paul to go through these hard, difficult times and overcome them and then look back at them and be like, eh, it happened. It's all right. We're moving on. We've got stuff to do. We're not going to dwell on the past and focus on it. What is it within him? 
Well, we're in 2 Corinthians right now. That's the second letter he wrote to the people in Corinth. The first letter was a little bit more optimistic because they hadn't fallen away yet. They hadn't been listening to false teachers. And in 1 Corinthians, he talks about who we are and what we are to aspire to. In chapter 12, verse 4, he says there are different kinds of gifts, and he's talking about spiritual gifts. But they are all given by the same Spirit. There are different ways to serve, but they all come from the same Lord. There are different ways to work, but the same God makes it possible for all of us to have all of those different things. The Holy Spirit is given to each of us in a special way that is for the good of all. Or as this version says, it is for the common good. The Spirit of God is powerful. The Spirit of God can move in you in ways you never imagined. It can help you to overcome things in your past or to stop idolizing things in your past, to look at achievement in a whole new way. It can redeem and heal anything that is within you. But it doesn't just exist there. Because God gives us a choice. God does not force his spirit and his love upon us. He will not force us to work with him and to know him. He desires for us to have freedom. He desires for us to make a choice. And the choice involves these gifts. See, these gifts are given for a common good, Paul says. In verse 27 in that same chapter is where he says that we are all part of the body of Christ. What are we to do with all this, to, with knowing that Paul went through such hardship, but that's what he bragged about, and that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to us. But there's these spiritual gifts too, and there is something that is powerful. But why is Paul not bragging about it? How does this all come together? How does this make sense? It makes sense because Paul is a servant of the Lord. And Paul understood and Paul knew through his relationship with Christ that we are made to serve others. We've been made to love. We are relationally made. Going back to the Garden of Eden, God created the world. He created humanity. And then he gave us a command to go and subdue the world, to go and rule over it, not for power, but for service. Not for ego or pride, but for love and betterment. And when he creates each and every one of us, he puts spiritual gifts inside of us. He puts ways that we are specialized and wonderfully made so that we can serve him and his kingdom, so that we can serve others. When we follow him, when we decide to start serving with these gifts that he has given us, we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts. That's where this redemption and this power that Paul has in him, that's where this overcoming spirit that Paul has in him, that's where it comes from. See, Paul devoted his life to service to Christ. When he was younger, before he met God, he was persecuting God. He was persecuting the people who followed the way. He was persecuting anyone who claimed to know Jesus and has had Jesus as their Savior. 
But then he had an encounter with Christ, and Christ said, why are you persecuting? Come serve me. And so he did. And Paul went on missionary journeys, and that is when he went through all of this that we just read. That is when he dealt with the difficulties and the hardships and the beatings and the imprisonment and the threats to his life and the danger. Serving God was an adventure for him. It had many ups and downs. But through it all, Paul felt strength and power and joy because by serving the Lord and by serving others, he was inviting God into his heart to lead him. The Holy Spirit was within him, showing him which way to go. It's an amazing, beautiful thing. And it's something that each and every one of us is made for. See, Paul was made perfectly for his missionary journeys. He was trained in the religious teachings of the Jews. He was an excellent Jew. He knew all the right people. He had all the political connections. He was a pretty good speaker. He had all this knowledge and wisdom in his upbringing. He was willing to travel. When we see him persecuting the church, he's traveling to different cities. He had all of these pieces in him that God had put, but he was using them in the wrong way. And then when he went to serving God, it all clicked. The past that he had, his upbringing, it gave him a unique perspective and experience that God could use. And on top of his spiritual gifts, he made a powerful apostle of the Lord. Someone who spread the church to the Gentiles all around the Mediterranean. To Asia, maybe as far as Spain, to northern Africa. It spread the gospel. And God has similar things in mind for you. Each and every one of you has a unique past. Our culture is all about customization today. You can get your phone in all these different colors. You can set your screen any way you want. Custom houses or what everyone wants. No one wants the cookie cutter. Everybody wants a custom thing. Even to the point where we we're hearing about you have your truth and no one can take it away from you. No one can take your truth away. Your truth is yours. It's true for you and that's what matters. All this customization we see, it's so, so wrong. But it gets one little thing right, and that is that you have unique experiences. You have a unique past. You have a unique upbringing. You have a unique skill set. And then God, on top of that uniqueness, has put into you spiritual gifts. He's put in different essences of himself into you. Ways that you can serve him. Things that you are good at. Supposedly, one of mine is preaching. I hope it really is. <laughs> but there's so, so many of them. On the foothills.org website, we have a little test. You can test to see what are your natural proclivities. Maybe you're a background person. You like being in the background and just helping set things up so people can succeed. That's an amazing one. Maybe wisdom is one of yours. Maybe administration is one of yours. That is not one of mine. If any of you out there are capable of admin, I admire you because I am terrible at that. I have no organization. There's so many different spiritual gifts. 
things that God has put into you that combined with who you are, with your upbringing and your past, makes a beautiful mix. And it makes a unique person that when the Spirit of God comes into them, can serve His kingdom in a powerful way. God is calling all of you to serve. If you know Him, then you should know that by now. If you know Him, then how are you using your spiritual gifts? How are you serving Him and His kingdom and His people? And if you don't know Him, I would encourage you to think about your past. Think about your gifts. Think about how you have been made. And then go to God and ask Him what power He has in mind for you. Remember, all of this comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's way of activating and leading and harnessing this power in us. It's an amazing, beautiful synthesis of God's will and His power and His desires for this world and His love for it with our physical presence here. That's what causes churches to be formed. That's what caused our food pantry to be formed. That's why we have a student ministry, a children's ministry. We're starting a disability ministry. We have the creative team. We have the worship team that leads us every week. So many different pieces and amazing things that happen just from foothills, let alone all the other churches in our valley, in our state, in our country, in our world. So many amazing, incredible things, organizations that have been built on the power of Christ. And what do they do? They go out and they serve others. They try to make the world a better place to rule over it in a way that is positive and loving, that edifies and strengthens people instead of tearing them down. So as we close today, I would challenge you to go to the only one who knows more about you than yourself. The one who made you and created you. The one who knows all of your past and history, knows exactly how you were created, and knows exactly where you can go and be most powerful. I would encourage you to go and talk to the Lord. Ask him where it is he has in mind for you to serve what it is he wants you to do and how it is he wants you to get up and go. We were made for action and for service. And when we serve others, when we serve God and we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in that service, he moves into our hearts. He redeems us. He heals us. He edifies us and he strengthens us. And that is when we can get those bragging rights that Paul talked about. Hopefully it won't be quite as difficult. Hopefully, hopefully there won't be quite as much danger of death. But hopefully there will be adventure. Hopefully there will be overcoming. And hopefully there will be ministering and changing other people's lives for him. Let's let Dana close this out. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.